Welcome to the XR Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Diana Olenik. And on this show, we dive into the cutting edge worlds of XR, Web3, and artificial intelligence with the brightest minds in the industry, bringing you exclusive insights and game-changing conversations that will revolutionize your understanding of the future. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Nikolai Klemke, who has been an esports commentator in his teens, a rapper and physicist in his 20s, and is now in his 30s as an indie hacker. By the way, indie hacker is a trend that exists right now, especially in Twitter. If you want to find out what this is about, of course, tune in because Nikolai is explaining a little bit about this and this influence in the business itself. He developed Neural Frames, which is an AI-based platform where users can easily convert text prompts to awe-inspiring videos and edit their creations on the go. So we're going to dive deep onto generative AI, how to use these tools and what it means for creatives and also for the whole society, as well as what is the behind the scenes that happens and what it takes to create a platform like this, especially as an indie hacker. I can't wait to begin. Let's do it. Let's know and learn what Nikolai has to say about generative AI. Let's do it. Thank you so much for being here. Nikolai, please let us know how is everything going in Germany? Pretty good. It's summer here, so good weather. It's nice. Yeah. Oh, that's great. We're also in summer right now. We're having fun. Winter is yeah. coming, so this is a time to enjoy. So thank you so much. Please let us know a little bit about your background. It seems you have a very interesting mix of different passions. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being, uh, thanks for letting me, uh, having me on. Um, I'm a physicist by training. Uh, also did a lot of music uh, in my in my let's say twenties. Uh, uh, I was a rapper kind of with a band and 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 saxophone player. Mm. And um, after the, after I studied physics, I also did a PhD um, studying interactions of strong laser pulses with crystals. Whatever, it's deep down fundamental research. Um, after that, I felt I want to do something in the real world, want to build something that, that people actually, um, use, uh, work for, for a year or so in a company and then, um, discovered this new technology called uh, text to video generation with AI and, um, saw that the existing tools there were very complicated to use, even for developers. They were awesome, but, but complicated to use. And then I thought, cool, I, I can build my own, um, a solution there that that can leverage this technology and and um, enable people to use this technology uh, for all kinds of use cases and this is where I am now um, I launched new frames the first launch was in January um, then some let's say beginning difficulties and and relaunched it in April uh, and then now it's July and um, yeah it's going strong growing and um, yeah that's exciting. Thank you so much. I understand you like to sometimes call yourself an indie hacker. I wonder what does it mean to you? 
Well, you know, there's there's different types of um, building a startup, and and a very common one nowadays is um, you come up with an idea, and then you ask people for a lot of money um, to build this idea, and um, this is the venture capital background, right? So you you ask investors to to give you millions, and then they hope that you um, have an idea that that or that you build a company that is worth a billion dollars. Um, this is a, a feasible approach, definitely, but my, my approach at the moment is a different one. Um, I just bootstrap my own um, company, um, I'm, and that's why it's the indie part, so I'm, I'm not dependent on any investors. I, I can do whatever I want. I'm doing this uh, also um, alone by myself at the moment with some help of some freelancers every now and then. And um, this, to me at the moment, feels like a very natural um, progression um yeah like a very natural way somehow to build something and um uh of course then it's probably not going to end up like a billion dollar uh, company but but still um also the expectations are far lower so um uh, even like a very very uh, much lower valuation will be a huge success for me right because mm -hmm. i don't have the investors in the background that i need to share the the revenue with yeah, that's great. So there's, there, there's this whole, there's this whole, sorry for interrupting. There's this whole movement of indie hacking on, on Twitter. And, and there's some people that, that really inspired me on that, like uh, Peter Levitz, for instance. Um, and I thought, uh, it's a cool approach. I would like to try it out. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think that that's a great example, especially for people who actually don't know that this approach actually exists and make the assumptions that Whatever we see the most in social media and everywhere is the only thing that is out there to try things yeah. out. But maybe we just don't know and haven't tried other ways to bring our products or our message to the world. So that's a great example. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I think. I'm oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So I think particularly in software, it's, um, I mean, you don't need so much money. You know, I, even if an investor would give me now, I don't know, $5 million, like how would I spend this? You know, I see people raising so much money and I'm wondering, like, is this really required? This, this amount? I mean, of course I, I could spend a million dollars. That's fine. I could spend a lot of marketing and hire a team and stuff, but mm -hmm. maybe it's also worthwhile to first build a product that actually is used and then I can still decide to scale or not. Seems much more natural to me. Yeah. Uh Absolutely. I think that you mentioned a point that is absolutely super important when growing a business. Even actually investors would be more interested to know about a platform that already have that the tests and already have the users. And it's so much fun and rewarding from the point of view of the founder to to be proud of what is built so far by your own only capabilities. So I think that there is a, a a good sense of reward there with that approach. Thank you for sharing that. That's definitely something that more people should know about. Thank you. So going from physics to being interested in the text to video tools, what was your particular inspiration that, of course, later on led you to create Neural Frames, but what was that initial inspiration? Why you were interested, particularly in text to video? So I, um, towards the end of my PhD, I started doing simulations. I, I was first, I was an experimental physicist, so I was working in a laser lab. It was dark. There were 
very expensive equipment. I was doing experiments, stuff like that. But, and then I was measuring interesting stuff. But, but towards the end of my PhD, I, I did um, simulations to understand my measurements better. And I discovered somehow that I really love doing the simulations and, and doing, um, writing the code for the simulations. Mm. And then one thing led to another. I went into this AI space. This was, I guess, in 2019, 2020. And there was a lot, already a lot of movement in, in AI. Mm-hmm. And I dove deeper and, and tried to learn as much as I could about this field. And, and, um, this culminated somehow in this, um, uh, the release of, of stable diffusion, which happened, I guess, in September last year or so, which is a text to image, um, neural network, which is open source. And I was very fascinated playing with it. Um, and then this, this text to video stuff, I just played around with it because I'm a curious person and I deeply fell in love with this technology. I mean, this is, it, it felt very powerful, um, to just write some text and get a cool animation out and, um, I was anyways in a state where I wanted to build something and I didn't really know what to build. And then I saw, okay, yeah, the existing tools are, are not really, there is definitely a need or a gap or something in, in the existing tools. And I thought I, I could build it myself. Although I, I, I mean, I'm not a front end developer or anything like that. And I, I learned everything while I did it. So, I mean, uh, there were definitely some challenges also there due to my um, lack of knowledge in, in computer science somehow. Yeah, but yeah, but that's a great example. I mean, you already had some a little bit of experience with coding and with with a little bit of the tech field or so on research and etc. So those skills, uh, of course, help you. But definitely, you don't come necessarily from the specific uh, computer science background, maybe. And that is a, a great example as well of how we can create our own stuff and being capable, feeling capable of doing things through research and experimentation. <laughs> so in layman's terms, how generative AI works? Because we know the tools are there, are out there, but we don't know how that even happens. So because you have a little bit of experience building the background of this I wonder if you can give us some insights on how that actually works, specifically text to video. Right. Yeah, sure. So um, generative AI usually is, is split in two parts. One is um, text uh, text generation, which we all know with uh, ChatGPT now. Um, and then there is image generation or, or video generation also, which is at the moment still very, very much related uh, image and video relation uh, creation. And the image creation is is happening at the moment with uh, so-called diffusion neural networks, diffusion diffusion models, which um, create images from noise. So um, they are trained with with huge data sets, basically all the all the images that exist in the in the internet out there somehow. Um, I think it's two point seven billion images if i don't get the orders of magnitude uh, wrong the stability diffusion one is, is trained on 2.7 billion i think um and it's it's trained in such a way that the image is uh, um in in the training process the image is um transformed to noise so it learns somehow this this pathway from from going from noise to that image 
And um, in the training process, there's also the caption of the of the image, which is kind of a description of the image usually, right? The the I don't know the subtitle or whatever. And um, if you are now one one can be smart and put this caption somehow into the noise with a smart transformation, so somehow the words are encoded in the noise, and then the the diffusion model can learn how to create from noise, which is overlaid with the text, to um, generate the the images. This is bas- this is the basis for for text to image models, which I mean blew my mind when I first saw them. I think the first one that was really impressive was uh, Dali from, from OpenAI, which I guess was two years ago or so. It's crazy how much happened since then somehow. I mean, these were the first attempts really in the, in the, or at least, I mean, there were already research, um, going on, of course, in text to image, but this was the first time that I got aware of it somehow. And, and there was this armchair of the, in the shape of an avocado. And I was so excited about it. Somehow I showed it to all my friends. <laughs> and yeah, but then stable diffusion came out and, um, and luckily for us as humans, uh, this, this was published open source. So everybody could play with it. Everybody uh, could do whatever they want with it. And then there was a cool, um, uh, open source community that that made this deforum project it's called deforum um which is a lib which is a yeah open source repository or, or library or how how you ever want to call it who, which in which they game this text to image model in the sense that first you generate uh, an image from text but then you generate image to image now you use that image that you generate to generate again a new image and a new image and a new image. And this is basically a for loop generating uh, images from image. And then you can get these evolving animations from that. With the same model that produces the first image, you can get the subsequent images also. And also use the prompt there because you overlay the, the incoming image then with the prompt also. And then you can modulate the somehow what what's generated. And then you can also implement for instance camera movement so you could zoom in subsequently in every image slightly and then you get this infinite zoom in the in the animations of this of this um, image to image to image to image loop there's really cool ideas in this open source um, library the forum and i mean um, it's it's really humbling to see what can happen if people just come together for free <laughs> you know it's mm-hmm. crazy we as developers then can use this I'm not actually using the forum in newer frames, um, but I'm, I'm, let's say, I'm, I, I wrote my own the forum, uh, very much inspired of, of, of what the forum uh, is doing somehow, but a bit simpler, um, uh, and less, less features than the forum because, um, I try to do, to keep everything as simple as possible for the user in the end. So what type of coding and specific skills are required to build something like that? So the, the, the pure backend is in Python, um, which is, I mean, somehow the language of AI, I would say. Yeah. Um, or at least the language of applied AI underneath. There's also always some C or C++ library somehow because Python is slow. And then in the front end, what I'm using, what, what the user actually sees is in my case is React. Um, but you can use whatever you want there. Um, uh, yeah, I, I learned React building this and. It's also kind of nice, but Python I already knew before. And, um, so I chose to, to build as much as I can in Python and then just the buttons and stuff are, are somehow not in Python. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing the specificity of uh, what you're creating. So 
how now that uh, neural frames came to life, how has been that journey? What makes actually neural frames so unique right now? Right. So I said that when I started doing this, there was no other product actually, like there was no other company doing that. Now there are a couple actually. Um, and everybody is kind of like going into their own space. There's, there's really cool competitors doing cool stuff. The, what's unique about newer frames at this very moment in time, uh, is that you have a full video editor. So, um, with competitors often you, you type in the prompt and then you wait a couple of minutes or even a half an hour or so. And then you get your video back or your animation, however you want to call it. Uh, with newer frames, you have kind of a video editor, which looks a bit like, like After Effects or Adobe Premiere a little bit. And uh, you have a timeline, you have a preview window, you have some effects that you can add and you can click on generate. And then you will see the frames coming in. They're generated and you, you will see them live coming in. And, and the benefit of this is that you can interrupt the process at any time. Mm. So you can. Because with AI, you, you type in a prompt and then you get some images back and you're not 100% sure, is this really what I want? And the AI will make something a little bit weird out of it or something. This is just the usual, you know, workflow there. You know, it from ChatGPT also, sometimes the response you get is really not what you, what you want. And then sometimes again, you change something slightly and it, it's much better. Uh, so the, the newer frames approach is to have this video editor, see, get live feedback from the images, can interrupt at any time, can change stuff all the time, can, can also then after a while say, ah, oh, no, now I want to move the camera into another direction and then do that. And, uh, currently newer frames is the only one doing that. Um, this might change or not. I don't know. Um, this also adds a certain complexity to the product. It's, it's a bit more just, uh, it's a bit more like an instrument than you have to learn, just like an After Effects or Adobe Premiere, you also have to learn somehow. Um, but you can, you can get much more out of it, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. That sounds super exciting. I think that I appreciate a lot because I have tried different tools, to be honest. And I think that is very important that because when we are paying, we at least can have the opportunity to try first as, as you have it available there. But most importantly, to decide the direction of where the creation is taking. And when we have to wait so much for one set to be generated, then it is like we have to accept whatever is generated at the moment instead of in the middle, maybe begin again. So for me, it's very important for efficiency purposes. So yes. incorporating that, I think that that, that was super great. Uh, and it's something that other platforms don't have, as you mentioned, the generation is done fully complete. And then we have to either begin again or, or use that, that, whatever we have there. So, but the time is something that we cannot, we cannot control in those platforms. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. So yeah. how do you think generative AI is reshaping the boundaries of creativity. I mean, of course, it's an incredible tool for artists, I see, for creatives. Do you see the role of human artists evolving and in what specific way? Because now the machines can do a lot of things that we were doing. Yeah, great question. And, and, and one that is very um, open at this point, I would say. I mean, I, I think... Yeah, I think there are um, artists that are afraid of this technology. Um, then there are artists who are very excited about it, that uh, use it. 
a lot already, right? And then there are people who were no artists before who now became artists because they love this technology so much. And all of these people somehow have the justification, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, art in general is, is not so much, um, depending on the medium, how you express it, I would say. So you can still do art like they did in the 1500s and be very successful with it. Right. So, um, art is a very expressive thing. You, you, the tool you use somehow, um, forms how you, or what you are creating. And so I think this is just another tool in the toolbox, um, potentially for artists. Where it becomes interesting is, is for, let's say, something like, um, music videos, for instance. This is, um, a space where, where I'm very excited about with new reframes. Also because I, I made a lot of music in, in the past. Mm. As a musician, you, um, you always need some kind of visual content for your songs, right? Because you, you want to, so first of all, Spotify has these, these short animations and they boost songs with these animations. And then you want to post something on social media. You always need some visual content and, and visual content is very, very hard and expensive to get, mm -hmm. right? And, and now with these tools, you can really, even with, with somebody who has no idea of how to create an animation, you can go ahead and, and create your own animation for your song, even with audio reactive effects and stuff. And you can like, it's, it's very easy and, and relatively fast to, to create now animations for, for any type of use case. And this is very powerful. It puts, it puts the power to, to create these, um, uh, animations into, into everybody somehow. But I think there will still be a place for, for general motion design people, at least for, for a lot of, for, at least for a decade, I think, um, with, with classical tools. Or I don't know, at this decade, I should probably take back. I, I don't know. I mean, things are moving very fast at the moment, but, um, yeah, I think not everything will be, um, substituted by AI in the near term. There's the, the, the other people will, should probably learn how to use it, but, um, Especially in the video space, it seems like a very hard problem to get really cohesive animations out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, exciting to hear how we can incorporate these uh, other sensory um, media, which is visual as well for, for music. I also love music, of course, and I can see how both of them are always together, the visual, the music, the sound. So I think that people would be very excited to use these for advertisement purposes, for marketing purposes, all of that. What um what do you do you think that there is actually a risk of homogenizing creative output given that it often learns from existing data and trends? Is there do you think you foresee that there is a point that uh we're gonna have similar stuff out there? Or what do you think in terms of art? What what would be the future of this? Yeah, I, I was just discussing this with a friend this weekend who also um, said that, like, especially for text output, this will be um, this will be happening. That, like, for marketing copy texts and stuff, you know, the the average copywriter might be substituted with AI, and then everything will be very similar, and there will just be the the genius copywriters that that like stand apart and and do great stuff that that stands apart. Um, yeah, I, I think this risk is there definitely, um, with, with AI in general, to be honest. So, so now for newer frames, I'm writing blog posts, um, for, with GPT-4, um, to, to help me in search engine optimization. It's incredible how, how 
how good the blog posts are in a sense, but also their kind of average, you know, like if, if I now took, took two hours and wrote a blog post, it would probably be better, but still I can spit out blog posts like nothing. And, and like it takes two minutes or so and helps me with search engine optimization, but then the content in the internet will be very average also. Yeah. I, I think that's true, but I think there will be a place always for, for, I mean, people always will appreciate good content, right? That's what people want. People don't want average content. So. Yes, yes, sure. So there, there is also a discussion about the ethic side of this type of tools or outputs or creations. What is your take on that? How we could, from our side, help with all of this uh, warrior concern in terms of the rights of generative AI? What, what is, what are your thoughts about that? Um, so do you mean in terms of copyright, for instance? Yeah. And in or... terms of, in general, of ethics, because uh, the tool can be in the hands of anybody now. Actually, it is. And people can create virtually anything, right? So that means okay. even false information, even false data that is going to be spread there. Like it has a, an impact in society of human beings being, you know, fed with content that might not be necessarily authentic. So what what's what are your thoughts in the ethics side of using these platforms? Yeah, it's a, also an interesting question and, and one that will, um, I guess, um, grow bigger over time. You see it already now with mid-journey outputs that are indistinguishable from reality somehow. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an issue for sure. Uh, but I think we will find ways to, to, um, we will find ways to deal with it somehow. Um, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of danger scenarios that you can draw a, a paint, uh, also with, with deep fakes on the, on the, on the phone, right? Calling relatives or something and then pretending that somebody is me or so. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, new problems that emerge, but new problems also always call for new solutions. And then I think we will find those also. Yeah. I'm, confident. Has, I'm, I'm, I'm positive somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And it has all also somehow existed because it's embedded in human beings sometimes to, to have the tendency to look for these resources to obtain things. Right. So Somehow the media evolved and these methods also evolve. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. it's always there. Yes. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, so what is your, because I can see you're like a visionary. What is your ideal scenario for neural frames in the future? Where do you see it in the, if there were no restrictions, where do you see it going and successfully? growing yeah i mean i have a backlog of 1000 ideas i guess wow. to implement <laughs> it's just a matter of of uh, time at the moment and also a bit of focus where where to exactly go and stuff um no i i i, I want to nail this music use case more and more and also the digital art use case more and more to to be a to, for this platform to become a friend of musicians and a friend of people who want to create visual art 
to on the one hand be simple enough to use for everybody but on the other hand allowing very complex allowing really no limitations on your creativity somehow mm -hmm. right i see it a little bit as a as a digital audio workstation that's what they call these softwares for creating producing music for instance ableton or cubase or these type of softwares they call it digital audio workstation so there you can generate sounds and 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 puts like you know um, have signals um interacting with each other and stuff and i see newer frames a little bit like that but for the visual space so i i i think newer frames is somehow a digital video workstation if you want to call it like that and um stable diffusion is kind of a visual synthesizer so um and this is the vision where i want to go somehow um yeah i think that that's an interesting niche that's super good because when we right now we have segmented aspects of the create, creation process. So we have one platform that is um, specialized in image. For me, I use Midjourney. We yeah. have other platforms that are getting a little specialized more in video. Other, but it really, when we are creating stuff, for example, for designers, we really need to put together, for example, bring photos or, or footage into an editor like... Um, Adobe After Effects or something like that, music, sound, to create something that is complete, right? I think that this would be a good niche and a good, uh, very good practical tool for us to be able to leverage at some point because as the platforms evolve, users are looking for efficiency, for ways where they can do things faster and better, maybe. So I can see also a future where these uh, tools are going to facilitate that process making it not so segmented as it is right now. Um, I was, I actually had access to this music AI, something like that from Google, a platform that generates yeah, yeah, text, yeah. text to yeah. music. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was so great. I like the wellness area. So then I was generating some kind of tunes for meditation or yeah. <laughs> type of experiences. And I can't wait for that to actually go from the beta and, and allow us to create the whole, the whole song. And, right. and because we create the stuff in XR, we need the music to incorporate in the XR experience because that is what is going to make the experience wow, like create more immersion. So I can see that whenever we have a platform like yours where we could create all of this and connect it with maybe even XR media or any other media, that would be super, super useful. So I'm excited yeah. to see the growth of neural frames in that direction, perhaps. But um, any updates that you have, please let us know so we can share it in the community. Now that more people is going to know about you, of course, we'd like to continue updating what's going on with Nikolai and neural frames. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. So is there anything that you wish I had asked you today so far, Nicolai? Um, no, I think we've covered a broad range of topics from background to, from physics to, um, to ethics. I think it's good. Yeah. Yes. No, it was a pleasure. Diana. Yes. Thank you. So how, how people can get a hold of you or neural friends? 
ja, all kinds of platforms, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere, uh, newerframes.com. Uh, you find us, you, you, you find me on, on all these platforms also. Uh, my main platform I don't is Twitter personally. I'm, I'm, I'm there the most. So follow me on Twitter if, if you follow me on oh. one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been such a great and engaging conversation. I think that we learned even a little bit more about generative AI and how artists are using it and even some implications of that. Thank you so much. And please consider to share this episode if you are listening or watching it to any of your friends or family who might be interested in this topic. Thanks so much and see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you.